welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, you guys. As usual, you might imagine the next word is going to be, I'm so excited because I am talking to Corby Mitleid today. And Corby lived a life on a roller coaster with no breaks. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? She survived divorce, abuse, poverty, and life-threatening illness, always maintaining her strength, courage, and humor. And I can definitely attest to her humor, even in the beginning of this conversation, I can tell she is really quite an amazing person. Corby wrote, we have opportunities we can go after and challenges to get past. She says firmly, as a three-time breast cancer survivor, I learned that firsthand. My job is to give you the tools and courage to deal with both situations. Everything else is free will and up to you. Well, Corby, it is just so delightful to have you here. I am so excited. And One of the reasons that I did bring you here too is that what she doesn't say in this little bio is that Corby has been working as a psychic since, as she would say, since Moses was in diapers. So Corby, welcome. I am so excited to have you here. It's great to be here. So we were talking about the fact that you have been a lifelong psychic and that you do identify as somebody who's highly sensitive and empathic. And I was asking you, And obviously being a three-time breast cancer survivor and enduring like all kinds of abuse, divorce, and poverty, your story is quite impressive. So I'm wondering like, where would you start with this story? What, what feels like a good place to begin? Well, people always want to know, how did you know? So that's what I call the 30 second elevator speech. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes, and I thought, wow, there's magic in the world. I want to go find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. Yes, it tells you how old I am. And I was working part-time at Spencer Gifts, and they had the James Bond 007 tarot deck, and I bought it because we were all hippies then. You had your elephant bell bottoms and your fringe jacket and your deck. So I started reading. And your strawberry incense. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Girl, <laughs> you, yeah. you brought back so many awful olfactory memories. I, I know. <laughs> um, so for 20 years, I read for friends, learning how to keep my ego on the shelf, learning how to be a clear channel. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, in the early 90s, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when the universe handed me my draft notice, said, hello, you're working for me. Mm. Did part-time. Meanwhile, all kinds of different jobs, actress, author, inspirational speaker, legal assistant, video producer, executive recruiter, writer for the graphic novel series, ElfQuest, you name it, but always the psychic work on the side. Now, 9-11, my husband and I watched the towers burn. Mm. And I looked at him and I said, I've got to do the psychic work full time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you, go do it. So for one more year, I worked corporate did the psychic work evenings and weekends until I was sure I could make a living at it. 2002, slammed the door in corporate, have never looked back. For the last 20 years, it has been six days a week, reading a thousand people a year. For 18 of those years, I was on the road 45 weekends a year. 
and I get to get up every morning. I don't have to get up every morning. That's mm. okay. There it is. Mm. And so as an intuitive person, and definitely I'm, I would say I fall into the sort of ambivert introvert category, but I know, and for many of the empaths listening, like thousand people a year, six mm -hmm. days a week. How do you navigate that? How do you manage it for your energy system? Well, um, I probably read a little less than a thousand. When I was on the road, 45 weekends a year, it was more like 12 to 1500. Oh my but, God. Uh, one of the deals I've got with my guides is there's an open and a closed sign. Mm -hmm. And for instance, Wednesdays, I do not work. I'm sorry. I don't care if you're dying. I will send you to another psychic because I've learned if I don't give myself at least the one day off a week. Yeah. I burn out. You can't Absolutely. get me Saturday morning. That's when I go to the Sapbush Cafe, which is run by my you know dear family of choice up here. I want to have Saturday breakfast with them see them. So my day starts at noon. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. are ways, as long as you are strong with your boundaries, that you can do this. Work hard, play hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's talk about strong with your boundaries. What does that mean to you? And for somebody means, who's clueless, how did you do it? That means no is a fabulous idea. Yes. No is. is definitely a fabulous idea. Um, you know, a lot of my clients when I say, how good are you at saying no? Well, they'll foof around about it a little bit. And I hand them a postcard that I had made up that says in big letters, no is a fabulous idea. And on the back, I have written the tale of Sid, Moses, second cousin, which explains why. And that's why humor is so important with what I do. Yes. When you get people laughing, they drop their boundaries, the information gets in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So your boundaries keep you from burning out. Let's say a doctor, you know that when they have interns and residents and they're doing 80 hours a week, you're not going to, they'll do their best, but they are not going to be as sharp for you in the ER as if they had normal hours. Think Absolutely. of what healthcare in the pandemic. So if you think you're going to read person after person after person, be there for them, with their problems and their crazies and their desperation without rest. I don't know what planet you're living on, but it ain't earth. Absolutely. So what did, so I'm imagining, as you were saying, you had, you made a point of being sure that you always have the one day off for sort of reboot and re regroup mm -hmm. and reconfigure. And then you have the boundary of Saturday morning, you know, no matter what, I'm having breakfast with my peeps. What does the sort of decompression and the sort of like evening or the period of time, sort of the after hours look like for you in terms of self-care? Like, how do you release? Because it sounds like you're working with and receiving an incredible amount of information all the time. How are you not absorbing it? Because I know so many empaths struggle. It's ego. You have to keep your ego on the shelf reading the magazine. Mm-hmm. When I do readings, all right, let's take a look at the four-day shows I used to do in Kitchener, Ontario. Yes, please. 10 to 9, 10 to 9, 10 to 9, and 10 to 6, run by my dear friends, Stan Mallow and Ray Fauché. They were the first star psychic care people. Now, I was an A-list. I read Doors Open and Doors Closed. Every two hours, I'd give myself a 15-minute break. So mm -hmm. in four days, I'd read 70 people and do two lectures. The key is... I would be focused on you, but the minute you're up from my chair, my brain does a core dump. I literally 
erase whatever I was doing for you. So we'll be clear for the next person. If mm-hmm. you came back to me the next day and said, do you remember that you said, I'll go, no. Yeah. Yep. And that's free. That's like any muscle at the gym. You know, people who are starting out, they have to learn. They can't be so upset with what's going on with their client. How do you know it's not for their own good? Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. use an example. With me, I loved being on the road. My nickname was the Travel Channel. But the universe kept nudging me for several years. You know, you really ought to come off the road. It was no, 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 next year. All of a sudden, summer of 2019, herniated disc and pinched nerve, which makes having triplets feel like a tea party. Mm-hmm. Four months later, I was okay. But the doctor said, you're on the road, career is toast. No more 10 hours in the car. No more load in and load out of heavy boxes. So it, by November of 2019, I quickly moved all of my business online. What happened in March 2020, but the advent of the years of murder hornet bingo and hold my beer. <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. Now, yeah, I still do maybe a half a dozen shows a year, but they are at most an hour and a half away from me in Saratoga. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I come home, I sleep in my own bed. I always have a front person. I always make sure the promoter knows I will need help loading in and loading out. I take care of myself. Mm-hmm. That way I can still do the fun stuff outside. But most of my clients are online. And frankly, when they're worldwide, you know, somebody from Rio de Janeiro does not want to come to Copelskill, New York with the cheap and the cows. It's just not going to happen. Right, right, right. It's interesting you mentioned Copelskill because I... I actually spent some time in Cobleskill, so I know the area that you were talking about. It's really you lovely know, country. What? You know, SUNY Cal. <laughs> SUNY Cal is our agricultural college, guys. Um, mm. My husband ran the Old Stone Fort over in Schoharie for 23 years. That's how I ended up up here. Wow. So you mentioned, you know, life-threatening illness, and you were talking about the about the herniated disc and basically that sort of taking you off the road. I am wondering about, you were saying you're a three-time breast cancer survivor. Where does that fit into your story? I hate the word survivor, but it's part of the bio. Uh, I tell people, I did not fight breast cancer because what you fight fights back. And I'm really not a survivor because I do more than hang on by teeth and toenails. Mm -hmm. I am a cancer dancer. I found out how graceful I could be under pressure. I avoided getting my toes stepped on and I got off the dance floor in one piece. Mm. My cancer was specific to my pre-birth plan. Mm-hmm. This soul comes in 80% of the time, male, 20% female. My tough stuff is in the female life. And this was a life where I had to learn to honor the female body, that the body is more than a bargaining chip. And so, of course, I was born with literally a Dolly Parton figure that bloomed when I was 11. Literally. Wow. I put a brunette wig on Dolly and there I was. And so based on the trauma that happened between me and my mother, when I was a teenager, I did think that was all I was worth. Mm. Nobody looked above the neck, below the waist. I was never allowed to say no to anybody who wanted anything, mm. uh, which is what led me in the first marriage where I was physically abused. The second marriage where I was just dumped in Atlanta. And trust me, I'm not a Magnolia. I'm a bagel. I belong in New York. <laughs> but the third marriage, very different guy, honest, monogamous, straight arrow. I didn't know that he's what I needed and wanted until I had it. Mm, mm. October is our 20th anniversary. And we were only married a year and a half when that third cancer struck. Second primary took the danger clock back to zero. But the doctor said, 
three strikes, you're out. We're taking the rack, we're taking the ovaries, and you're going from this Dolly Parton figure to this fat fire plug with permanent side effects sucking up. Uh, the first two husbands would have left in a heartbeat. This yeah. one said, am I going to miss them? Oh, yeah, they were gorgeous. But I mm-hmm. married them, not them. Mm-hmm. Now that's a mm-hmm. mensch. Yeah. So now, if you look at me, you would have no idea what I look like younger. I look so, quote unquote, normal. Mm. And for 67, this is not bad. Yeah, not bad um, at all. I kid, I say two magic words, no children takes 10 years off your looks. But uh, I would um, be inclined to agree with you there because no children here either. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And it was important for me not to have children. I needed to re-raise myself mm-hmm. after the traumatic childhood. Mm-hmm. So all that said, this is an example of what I call living the examined life. What's that? This is happening to me and I hate it and I don't want it, but I can't avoid it. First thing is, what's the lesson that you can take from it? For me, because of my own nature, how can I teach with it? And then the next word is next. Don't stay stuck in your story. I know too many women, you know, 15 years ago, they had colon cancer. They walk up to you and say, hi, my name is Mary and I'm a cancer survivor. Well, you know, I was the Betty Crocker homemaker for New Jersey in 1973. I'll tell people about that now because I've moved on. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. But I'm a lot more interesting than that now. Absolutely. The other thing is people tend to think they get more cred, more pay attention if they're victims. Mm-hmm. Can't victim. No, mm-hmm. it happened. Next. Mm-hmm. So you were saying in terms of that it was, you recognized it as the life lesson. What would you say are sort of the lasting takeaways from this experience? Like what would be, what were the lessons that you're like, this is what I had to take from this? Number one, the body is a vehicle. It is not my defining thing. Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to say no in any situation I want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And being in a female body this time, it's just this time. I, you know, I've never wanted to be trans. I've never regretted not being a guy. It's just that the soul tends to do most of its work in male incarnations. Mm -hmm. I have been told that I'm a guy in a girl suit, which means I think girl games and bitchcraft are bullshit. Yeah. My husband and I both go into our respective ladies and men's rooms. We both come out at the same time because not doing a lot of fluffing and buffing. I have my own style, but I'm not really into clothes. Mm -hmm. It's much more cerebral. Mm -hmm. I'm much more interested in other people than me. I want to go back to talking about the way that ego, the relationship between ego and absorbing other people's stuff, because Mm -hmm. I think that this is something that I know that a lot of people who identify as empaths feel like they can't help it. Feel like, you know, they're just taking on the stuff that's coming in from other people and they just can't help it. And I love how you're talking about the way that like every time you work with somebody and you do a reading, it's like, you're just kind of like next, like it's, I, I sort of, I have this image of like the mail shoot when, you know, or like mm-hmm. at the banks where like the, the vacuum thing goes through, it's like, it's gone. But I'd love to hear you talk more about like the not absorbing other people's stuff and the relationship between that and ego. We're not the repairman, we intuitives. We're the no, tool we are not. That, and we hand you the toolbox. Yes. Someone who read for me and didn't know I was a psychic, they might feel so terrible that I went through all this cancer and blah, 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 blah. And they brood about it. No, 
Don't do that. Yes, some of my clients have difficult lives. Mm-hmm. Let's use the example because you you know, 95% of the questions are, does Bruce love me? Yes. So I pull five cards. The client, Bruce, the relationship, what she needs to know and best possible outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I tell her what I see. But then if she said, I still don't know what to do, I pull my three threes. Three cards for status quo. You just kind of bumble along. Three cards for the come to Jesus meeting, which is serious counseling, draw a line in the sand. And three cards for a hostile abide-by. It's been nice. I'll send you a postcard. She leaves. Now, I may see the Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice sign poking at the leave, but I zip it because it's yep. her free will. Mm-hmm. And if she says, well, I guess I'll just stick it out for a while. That's her choice. Yep. Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with you. I handed her the envelope. She decided what she read. Right. The right. only times that I, you know, there's always an exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. If she tells me that she's battered, gaslit, afraid, the reader's turban comes off, my legitimate reverend collar goes on and I do some counseling because I need to get her out of that. But mm-hmm. if she says, no, I really want to stay, I can't push her. No, you can't. Well, and I've certainly I've had that experience back in the days when I was doing when I was younger and I was reading much a lot more professionally. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple situations where and I was young enough that I was definitely trying to rescue. Mm-hmm. But just with one woman in particular where I could see so clearly in the cards as she stayed that it was it was going to be lethal for her. But, you know, there is that place of like we can offer somebody information and then they get to decide what they're going to do with it. And yeah, it's a painful Um, lesson sometimes. It is. It is. But I know that when I was younger and I would stew about it, then that would muck up the future readings because I wasn't thoroughly there. Absolutely. Um, Which is not a good thing. So, yeah, that's that's why as we get older, we learn to just leave that stuff aside. But I will say this. If somebody comes to me once a year and mm-hmm. they always bring the same stuff, and I know I'm always telling them the same thing, after the third time, I'm like a good bartender. I cut them off. They're wasting their money and my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if I read them in June and they come to me in mid-July and say, great reading, did everything we talked about, things are really shifting. She wants a reading. I will do that because obviously she is taking the information and moving with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I really love how you're talking about the awareness of your role is basically to offer the tools and to share the information, but not Mm -hmm. to rescue and not to fix. And I'm wondering, like, I mean, I know this, this may sort of be like a kind of almost like an obvious question, but I'm really wondering about the, like the brass tack. So like, actually like what happens between people? So you've done a reading and you've shared information. Is there anything that you consciously or deliberately do, or is this almost like just instinctively, you know how to do this? Like, how do you sort of like wipe the slate and go next? Because while reading, I was completely focused on them, not me. Okay. So it didn't stick. And so, so it's not that you are like, deliberately thinking, okay, now I'm letting this out of my body or anything. It's that the way you are reading itself is not leaving any residue with you. That's right. Okay. Okay. So I'm really, and as you were saying, when you were younger, you were definitely noticing that you were getting, you know, sort of the channel was getting gummed up. Yeah. And so 
at the point where you were sort of, I'd love to talk about that in-between period where like you started maybe noticing that the way you were reading wasn't working for you. Like, how did you realize this and how did you adjust it? How did you transition? A lot of complaints. Yeah. The more you can do system dump, which is what I call it, Mm -hmm. the more accurate your readings are going to be because there's no sludge. Right. You know, let's take a dinner plate. You serve spaghetti carbonara on that plate. You go and wash it, dry it. It's perfectly clean. Then when you put pork stew on it, it tastes like pork stew. Mm-hmm. If you didn't want to clean out that plate, A, that's gross. And B, the pork stew is not going to taste like pork stew. Right. You got to clean the plate. You got to clean the plate. Yeah. And so um, so I'm just really, so you were actually, what I think is interesting as you were saying, like you started getting a lot of complaints. I'm like, how interesting that you didn't stop. Like so many people would have just at that point in time, if they had been getting a bunch of complaints, probably would have been like, this isn't for me. I'm not good at this. I'm going to give it up. What part of you just knew that it was that you needed to keep going and that you needed to course correct, but not stop? The examined life. You know, what's the situation? What do I need to learn? The other thing was, you know, when you have read 25,000 people in your career, you know how they say there are really only seven plots for fiction books? Mm-hmm. There are only so many things you read about. Mm. And so nothing surprises me anymore. And so when nothing surprises you, your ego doesn't go, oh, yum, yum, yum. Let me look at that. It's just, right. okay, keep it going. Doesn't mean that I do not care about the reading, but right. been there, done that. And like any racehorse on a track, I know where I'm running. I know where the turns are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just love how you're talking about like, you know, you're not engaging in the story anymore. Like you're just sharing information with people. But like you said, you know, it's like there's only so many plots that the universe seems to have. And after a point, it's kind of like you're just watching the same TV show over and over again. Yes. And I also learned something from the woman that I call my spiritual mentor. We have been friends now for damn near 40 years. And that's Wendy Peeney. One of her favorite lines is praise and blame, all the same. And it's true. The Mm. ego hooks onto the compliments and it's devastated by the complaints. There is, what's the Joni Mitchell line from uh, Eel and the Snake? Puffed up and strutting when I think I win, down and shaken when I think I lose. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. Well, and I think it was Madonna who said something many years ago where she was like, I could have a thousand people who are just worshiping me and throwing roses at me and saying all good things. And one person can like say something really critical and it can just like be devastating. And it is. Do you remember the old saying, one oh shit is worth 10 attaboys? I don't think I've ever heard that before, but. Oh, I've known that since I was a child, Mm -hmm. but it's true. One complaint and all of the good things that people have said to you out the window. Out the window. Not careful. Right, right. This reminds me of, you know, the sort of within the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, take nothing, you know, don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really hearing that in many ways, it sounds like you live by this particular principle of don't to. take anything personally. Yeah. I try to. But, you know, I am human. And sometimes, especially in my personal life, I'm not as good at that as I'd like to be. But Mm -hmm. uh, professionally, yeah, I'm good. 
That's wonderful. So I guess actually one question I have for you is, I mean, yes, there were the, you know, elephant bell bottoms and the James Bond tarot deck, the witch's tarot, or was it, was it? Yes, like, that's right. It is yeah. now tarot of the witches. Tarot of the witches. Yeah. But back then it was James Bond 007. 007. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just like, I remember that deck. I never mm-hmm. had a copy. I never had one myself just because I'm very particular about the visuals and it just didn't. But the one, my very first deck, well, I had a starter deck that was just major arcana cards, but my very first deck was David Palladini's The Aquarian Tarot. I mean, that, that's, was, that was what came after. Yeah. Along yeah. with the Swiss JJ Marseille deck. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but the thing about the Swiss uh, Marseille JJ is there were no pictures right. on the suits. If it was the seven of pentacles, you just had seven pentacles. And I love the allegorical stories behind the pictures on the minor arcana. Absolutely. I think it's whether, you know, as a reader at a certain point, you know, the shorthand of everything. Like I I was thinking the other day that I could actually even just like, you know, muscle test or use a pendulum and do a reading based on, you know, like just like narrowing in on the cards because I know them all so well at this point. But, you know, I think that even for the person who's receiving the reading, that there's something to be said for the pictures that are telling a story. That is more right than you know. One of the reasons that I'm a certified tarot master is that I explain the allegory behind the card. Mm. So, for instance, the ta- that's right. Uh, it doesn't matter to see it. Um, the tower card. Everybody yeah. thinks that's doom, gloom, and destruction. People see it, they're terrified. They're like, no, no, no. I want you to see it as the imploding sports stadium card. Red Sox want to build a new stadium. They got to blow up Fenway first and clear the ground. That's what the universe is telling you about. Clear the ground, new stuff is coming. Mm. The deck card does not mean you're going to be hit by a bus on Tuesday. No. Death of an old way of life, death of what you've outgrown, death of what was never you in the first place. And I make sure that rookies know that. I tell them, I give them three rookie rules. And the third is there are three cards that weird out rookies, death, the devil, and the tower. If they come up, I'll tell you what they mean because it ain't that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've talked about death, the death card, and you've talked about the tower card. What about the devil card? The devil card is not Mr. Horns in a Tale. It is not even Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick. It is being bedeviled by something, someone, some situation, or holding yourself back from your highest and best with bad habits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does not mean you have to burn a specially blessed candle because you have a family curse. Okay. <laughs> so that, that exact thing is why I wrote my book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. Mm. Uh, 19 years ago, I was doing big fair in Toronto, like 250 booths. And, you know, the promoters cannot bet everybody at a 250 show. Right. So I was on one side of the aisle, and the other was one of the fake gypsies. Mm. And a bunch of us watched a woman from the public go walking down the road, looking at the things. And the gypsy comes out and grabs her and says, oh, you no need to pay 30, 40, $50. I read your palm for 10. Come. She drags the woman behind a screen. 20 minutes later, we see this woman crying hysterically. We run mm. over, are you okay? And the gypsy said, oh, you have a family close. How many in your family? Four? Your dog? $50 every family member. 25 for dog. He's small. We fix. And told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident and the woman bought it. 
Yeah. That's why I wrote that book to keep people safe from that kind of crap. Oh my God. So I remember a number of years ago when I was a reader in Massachusetts and mm-hmm. I remember there being a story about a woman who was like a psychotherapist who'd been embezzled for something like $40,000 by one of the sort of neon sign readers in, you know, mm-hmm. in downtown Cambridge. Adam Hoo-ha. That's yeah, Madam Hoo Ha and Madam Hoo Ha. Ah, you have a curse on you. Give me forty thousand dollar. I give you fruit basket. We take off curse, and I just, you know, it is just, it is so sad to me. Actually, have I don't know if you ever watched. There is a Hulu. There was a, a series on Hulu called Shut Eye, that is all about the grifting psychics, which I it's as entertainment, it's very interesting and, and really, really, really cool. <laughs> but right. as, um, but obviously when it's really happening in real life, it's just, it's, it's a travesty. It's horrible to see that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, when I went looking, there are 6,942 books on how to be a psychic yourself and how to develop psych. I didn't see any books that recognize, just like when you go to an art museum, you may love sculpture, but you then don't need to come home with a block of marble and a chisel to find the camel inside. Yes. You can adore intuitive work, but you don't want to be an intuitive yourself. Exactly. Well, and one of the things that I actually feel is in sort of in the whole sort of world of psychic development and intuition, that there is so much information about how to open ourselves to receiving information, but there isn't a lot of information about how to process the information, how to deal with the information, how to keep ourselves safe when we are getting the information. And I love that you're talking about just even the fact that not everybody needs to be a reader. Not everybody needs to be developing their psychic abilities. And that mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of importance in just recognizing who is a good psychic, who's not. So right. actually, if you were going to, you know, like if, if to our listeners say somebody's like, you know, I really do need a reading. What advice do you have for people about finding a legitimate reader, finding the true wizard, as opposed to, you know, landing in the lair of the flying monkey? Well, uh, the first chapter in Psychic Caliber Road is about that. And I use a mnemonic psychic. Professionalism, sharing references, you're in charge of your own life, charges, here I can fix anything for a price, inappropriate actions and connections. But let's make it simple. And let's say that you want to go to a psychic fair. Now, you don't know any of us there from Adam's house, cat, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you choose a good psychic? Well, you have to be a good puppy. Mm-hmm. You go in and you do your walkies, which means that you go in and you just walk around, you look at the booths, you get a feel for who's there. Then you have to get paper trained. That means you go back and you collect brochures, rack cards from anybody that looks like maybe I want a reading from them. Mm-hmm. At most psychic fairs, there are tables, chairs you can sit down, you can read through. You're going to find three or four psychics that you really like. You go back, talk to us if we're free. If we're not, we'll probably have a front person to talk to. But we can tell you we're wonderful and that doesn't count. And we hire our front people to say they love us. My first front person is the fabulous Laura Spickerman. For 23 years, Laura was my husband's office manager at the museum he ran. Mm -hmm. Do you think she's going to dismiss his museum director over the weekend? Probably not. Probably not. So what you do is you look for our testimonial books. We all have them. Flip through, read a few. Are we kind? Are we funny? 
Are we easy to talk to? Do we have specialties, children, dogs, dead people? Are we accurate? Would they come back? Mm -hmm. The last thing, people, listen to me. This is the most important part. Check in at your heart level. Yes. If the psychic doesn't feel to you like they have a brain in their head, they really care about what they're doing, or they're going to give you good information, don't go there no matter how cool the wiki woo looks on the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're going to find different chair side manner. I mean, there are some readers that are what I call the really glurpy purple with angels. Hi, my name is Little Dancing Raccoon. And here's my spirit guide, Arctic Bear. Now, some people love them. I'm from New York. I'm gonna make you laugh, but I will hit you upside the head with a clue brick. Some people see me and are terrified of me. And some people adore me. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with them for choosing. Right. I'm just who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, and this is something that an intuitive has to know about themselves. Look, I am a charismatic mm-hmm. theater major. When I walk into a room, it's three feet before I walk into a room. I walk in and if I'm on, I take the room. Yeah. But that some people turn that off. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. You don't like it. Go live and be well. Blessings on your journey. I won't change who I am because I know her, I like her, and that's when I do my best work for you. Mm -hmm. If you meet somebody gentler, going back to Canada, I always used to share a double booth with my dear friend, Debbie Dyer. Debbie was this lovely woman with snow white hair that was the iron fist in the velvet glove. She came Mm -hmm. across as much softer than I am. She was a bang on reader. But if I was too strong for you, you'd go to her. If you really liked my New York razzle-dazzle, you wouldn't go to her. You'd come to me. Mm-hmm. We all get the right people when we are the right messenger for what they need to hear. Yeah. Uh, I actually, one of thought that came to my mind is with the psychic fairs. I know that there are some people who kind of do it sort of almost like as entertainment and maybe like sort of choose to get multiple readings. What do you think about that idea of like somebody going to a fair and getting multiple readings all at the same time? Their money. They sometimes they go because they want to find the one person that says, yes, Bruce, like, you know, I talk about this in the book. Yeah. Uh, Somebody will sit down with me and say, does Bruce, you know, does Bruce think about me? No. Well, has he ever thought about me? No. What do you want? Well, if I do such and such, is he going to think about me? No. Well, he's going to call soon. No. If he's not going to call soon, he's going to call later. And they keep eating on you, hoping that you will finally say, yes, yes, he loves you and he wants seven babies with you, but he just doesn't know it yet. Oh, good. I thought so. Don't do this to us. One of the reasons that people go psychic to psychic to psychic because Mm -hmm, they want mm -hmm. what they want when they want it. Yeah. Or they want their bad behavior to be justified. I, when I was very young and first starting to read for people, I had the experience of a woman who was in a extremely inappropriate and very illicit affair. And you know, wanted validation that the reason that it was okay to be doing this basically um, incestuous thing was because they had past life connections with each other and that it was this destined thing. And I think that there are definitely people who are going to go to psychics and look for validation Mm -hmm. for very, very bad choices. There are. And, you know, there's also going to be what I call remote spying. Let's use um, the, uh, the old Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. When they were together, Angie could ask about Brad. Brad could ask about Angie. 
once they were divorced, no, they could not ask about each other because that's remote spying. Mm-hmm. And these are cases where I tell someone I won't read them. Um, there was a woman who came to me and said, I want to know where my husband is sleeping with his mistress. I said, well, I don't do remote spying. Oh, well, can you tell me how many people he slept with? I'm sorry, Mrs. Cooperson, I don't do remote spying. Christ, what good are you? All right, is he going to die soon? Is he going to leave me his money? And I turned to Laura. I said, Laura, I'm not connecting with Mrs. Bickerman. Please return her money. And out she went. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are certain, this is again, boundaries. Do not be forced into doing what you know you do not want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing on boundaries, if you're a reader at the shows, we are treated like commodities. A burger, a latte, or a car wash. Two things. A guy comes to me and says, well, tell me something you couldn't know about me. And if you're right, I'll have a reading with you. I smiled and I said, I'm sorry. I don't roll over and fetch either. And I turned my back and he did not get a reading. Right. Somebody else. I was eating a quick lunch at my desk. He leans over the front table, pokes at my sandwich, says, you don't need to eat right now. My wife wants a reading. My front person slid right in front of me, got him away from the booth. And naturally, he never got a reading from me either. But this is how people will treat you unless your boundaries are strong. Yes, yes. Just the fact that like being in these psychic environments, you have people who really don't have any understanding and just will violate your boundaries unless you know what they are. So yeah. I love that you, and I also am really hearing that you have a code of ethics about what you will read about and what you will not read about. And Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I was uh, made a certified professional tower reader through the Tower Certification Board of America, which was a great organization, it's now defunct. Mm-hmm. They used to have us write our own code of ethics. And when a client knows that you've got a code of ethics, especially if you're being hired for a private party or a corporate gig, they know you're not just a fly-by-night, that you take yourself seriously and you are a true professional. So that's why a code of ethics is really, really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I'm curious, was there a point where you did not have a code of ethics and you sort of came into realizing you needed to have a code of ethics or did you sort oh, of. Yeah, when I first started, I was the happy puppy. I get to read. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I've been a CPTR now for 15 years. Wow. You know, it's, it's been a long time. People hear all the stuff I have and all the stuff I've done and they go, oh my God, I'll never be able to do this. Kids, you know, I'm a grandmother's age. Yeah. And you're 32. Don't beat yourself up. Right. Right. It's no fun. You're a puppy right now. Well, and time, you know, well, and actually I, this is actually something that I like, what do you, I guess I'll say, what do you think about the people who pick up a tarot deck and a year later decide that they're a professional reader? Well, there are some shows where they can practice. One of my long-term shows, and probably the only one I will still do where I have to stay overnight, mm-hmm. is run by Anna Rossman. It's the uh, Liverpool Psychic Fair. It's every February. And Anna is very smart. She has two kinds of psychics. First, there are the wall psychics. We all have booths along the wall. We're the real deal, and we can charge whatever we want. Then she has a pool in the middle of the room where the psychics only have a card table and everybody gets paid 25 bucks per reading. And they're the rookies Mm -hmm. at the Grapefruit League. And, you know, they may not read you as well as we do, but they're going to do their best. And it's how they need to get their experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I think that there are definitely a number of people who are not necessarily coming up in the psychic fairs or the reading out of shops or anything like that, but who just, you know, will sort of decide that they are psychic and put up their shingle. I know. I know. That's why you have to get references from them and talk to some of their clients. But too often, you know, I mean, well, I don't know, you know, I'm retiring now, but there's really not enough uh, in my social security, my savings. So I used to read in high school. So I'm going to get my deck out and I'm going to be a reader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Darling, live and be well, but you're going to be a bottom feeder. Mm-hmm. And in this environment where money is tight, you'll get some people, but as an A-lister, I'm going to get the big ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or they read for California psychics. California psychics pays their psychics a dollar a minute, maybe. Maybe. Or yeah, maybe, or 50 cents a minute. And you can get a reader who only charges a dollar a minute. But there, the reader is trained to keep you on the line for as long as they can. Right, right, right. Now, there is totally different, you know, the total other end of the spectrum is someone that I work for. And that's Bob Olson with the Best Psychics Directory. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, I'm charging heavy money. But because I'm fast, I can do a five-minute reading for you there that'll get you your answer. And you don't have to pay my half-hour rate on my website. Mm-hmm, got a mm-hmm. lot to discuss. Yeah, go to the website. If you got one fast question, trust me, the does Bruce love me questions, I can answer those in three minutes flat. Yes. Yeah. If you have to ask, no, he does not actually. <laughs> go watch the movie. He's just not that into you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Corby, I can't believe that we are already at the top of the hour with this conversation. This has know, just this whipped by. This is whipped by. It's been a delight. You've taken me down <laughs> memory lane from certain things too. If there was anything, so I guess as we are coming to the end of this conversation, out of all of the things we've been talking about, what one or, you know, like, is there anything that you're just like, I have to say this, this is the most important thing that I need to share? Yes. Guys, I'm 67. I've got maybe 20 years left, maybe 25. We are going to need new readers. There are going to be 8 billion people in the world. I can't read them all. There is room for you, but learn how to do it right. Learn how to keep yourself safe. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm, mm, you want to be a reader at my level. It will take you years. Yeah. Not because it'll take you that long to learn, but it'll take you that long to get traction. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Come on in. The water's fine. Come on in. The water's fine. I love that you just said that it is not necessarily that the thing that it takes time, the traction is what takes Mm -hmm. the time. And I just, boy, howdy, do I feel you there? I think there's so much awesome. You've got the magic. If you are serious about wanting to do this work, go and get my book. You've got the magic who needs a genie, the A-lister's guide to holistic expo success. Even if you are not planning to do expos, there is so much in there about how to run a psychic business as a professional. Mm, Everything mm. I learned is in the book. Wonderful. That looks absolutely amazing. Corby, this has been such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And I'm sure... I'm sure that uh, that my listeners are going to be incredibly inspired by everything that you've been saying. So how do people get in touch with you? Oh, Jennifer, they can't avoid me. They can't <laughs> avoid you. <laughs> um, my website is CorbyMidline.com. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, Medium.com, Patreon. It's all Corby Midline. 
all Corby Mitleid. And we will have all of that information in the show notes. So you guys can come on over there. But And so Corby Mitleid, M-I-T-L-E-I-D.com, you guys, in case you're listening to this as you're driving. Yeah. Corby, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Loved it. Thank you for asking. Mm. All righty. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.